My name is Brad Elder. I'm a neurosurgeon uh, faculty at The Ohio State University. I'm the uh, director of neurosurgical oncology. And uh, I'd like to introduce today's episode of the CNS Guidelines podcast. Today, for the podcast, we're going to be discussing the paper entitled Cytoreductive Surgery in the Management of Newly Diagnosed Glioblastoma in Adults a systematic review and evidence-based clinical practice guideline update. And this was published in Journal of Neuro-Oncology in uh, 2020. The authors are Joe Domino, Ryan Ormond, Isabel Germano, Myraj Sami, Timothy Reichen, and Jeff Olson. And as a reminder, the aim is to cover different guidelines, papers, recent guidelines that are published in a format that allows uh, the contents of the paper to be discussed in a uh, more conversational uh, manner uh, to try and deliver the messages and the important content within. And we're very fortunate to have three of the authors of the paper with us today on the podcast, as well as a, a resonant host that will, with me, help to moderate and ask questions. So with that being said, I want to introduce Dr. Domino. He's a PGY-5 at the University of Kansas, and he's going to give us a little bit of background and discuss some of the key aspects of his paper prior to us having a little talk about it. Great. Thank you, Dr. Elder, for, uh, for having, us, having us on. So this is an update to a paper that was originally published in 2008, but the idea that we're periodically updating these as knowledge progresses. We're looking at papers with this newest version that we published in 2020. I'm looking at things from 2005 up to 2018 and really looking for paper, English language, adults, peer-reviewed, that's trying to look at you know, the effect of surgery on newly diagnosed glioblastoma in adult patients. And so we have to be quite stringent in how we do this. And so if there's mixed histology or mixed treatment, that we have to be able to separate this out in terms of the you know, WHO grade four glioblastoma versus the other you know, WHO grade three high-grade glioma. So we, we looked at uh, screens for eligibility, 7,684 citations with 212 that we reviewed in full text and 51 of those met all the criteria for inclusion. And on, on the CNS website, there is a you know, link to the development methodology that we, we used and this is consistent across the CNS guidelines. Our strongest recommendation and the one that you know really is that has the most evidence we've seen through time is that you know maximal cytoreductive therapy or cytoreductive surgery, so maximal extent of resection, safe extent of resection in patients with suspected newly diagnosed glioblastoma is, is strongly recommended. And this is defined as gross total resection, which is removal of the contrast enhancing tumor. Again, we say all of these, you know, in the context of, you know, what's, what's safe resection, because we, we understand from, from the literature and from, you know, personal experience for everyone that inducing a new neurologic deficit in a patient significantly impacts their outcome. So if, at the, if the cost of a gross total resection is a neurologic deficit, to really be understanding, you know, what we're, how we're, you know, helping patients in this. One of the, the interesting thing that comes, you know, when talking about extent of resection is, well, you know, we do, we know, we say contrast enhancing tumor, remove that. What about going a little bit beyond? We know that glioblastoma is really, you know, almost a whole brain disease. It has, you know, infiltration um, from the very beginning. And so what if you go a little bit beyond to flare intensity? And there are a few studies that mention this. One of the major problems is, is a very consistent definition saying, you know, a centimeter beyond or, you know, flare, or if it's a frontal or temporal doing a lobectomy in those areas. So it'll be interesting moving forward if we 
are able to come to more consistent definition, you know, how these recommendations change. But for right now, it's really about safe maximal resection. So the other thing that is uh, interesting and perhaps has been changed a little bit over time is what do we do with um, glioblastomas that are involving both hemispheres? And we refer to those as butterfly glioblastoma. And what we found uh, was uh, uh, three class three studies that provided us with level three evidence showing that resection in newly diagnosed bifrontal butterfly glioblastoma is suggested to improve the overall survival compared to a biopsy alone. Now it's interesting that in um, all three of these studies, the uh, preoperative uh, Karnofsky score, the KPS, was important to really determine the overall uh, survival. And so our recommendation was that the preoperative KPS should be taken into consideration as that appears to significantly affect the overall survival. Now, we also looked at tumors that are in other uh, specific areas, including the insula, the cerebellum, multifocal. And uh, for those, the data was scarce. And so we could not really come up with a recommendation. However, once again, there was an overall uh, underlying tone suggesting that a new postoperative deficit uh, was associated with a shorter overall survival. And finally, as the population is growing older, we in this chat are not, but the rest of the world is growing older. The question is, what about a cutoff? Because in multiple clinical studies, the cutoff is 65 years of age. So we wanted to look at that specific question. And what we found was that elderly patients sh show survival benefit with total resection. And it is suggested that elderly patients undergo cytoreductive surgery. Now, the real question is, what do we consider an elderly patient? And so we found eight uh, class three studies. And it's interesting that in uh, two of those studies, the patient were 65, right? So the cutoff was right at 65. And then in three of those, they had to be greater than 65. In one, a greater than 70, another one greater than 75, and another one greater than 80. And that gave me a lot of hope because what it means is that it's okay to grow older, right? And in all those studies, a low preoperative KPS was associated with shorter overall survival. And again, what is the definition of low? It depends. Some studies have less than 70, less than 60, and less than uh, 50. So it's still, the magic number is still there and needs to be derived in the future. So we also wanted to look at intraoperative guidance techniques at improving maximal safe resection. And there are a number of modalities used, certainly in the clinical setting, as well as in the literature most people would consider stereotactic navigation, for example, to be standard of care in many uh, communities uh, throughout the, the world for, for glioblastoma resection. This question wasn't specifically looked at in these guidelines, but we were looking more into the use of intraoperative MRI as an adjunct, as well as other fluorescent guidant uh, adjuncts or, uh, or imaging adjuncts, such as intraoperative ultrasound. We found enough data to give guidance in intraoperative MRI and, and 5-ALA, but insufficient evidence to make any suggestion on the use of uh, fluorescein, indocyanine green, or intraoperative ultrasound, although there were level three evidence 
or class three evidence studies for these modalities. And what's interesting is, you know, there were five class two and 11 class three studies related to intraoperative ultrasound and 5ALA. They all suggest that extensive resection is improved with the use of either intraoperative MRI, 5ALA, or both. In fact, a number of the studies used both modalities and didn't really separate them. There is one class one study looking at 5ALA guided resection specifically versus white light uh, resection. Unfortunately, the outcomes combine grade three and grade four gliomas. And for that reason, it was not specifically included in this guidelines analysis. But we were able to, from a synthesis perspective, find level three evidence to suggest that the use of intraoperative MRI and 5ALA are useful adjuncts for improving extent of resection primary glioblastoma. Great. That's a great summary of the paper. I, so I, I'd, I'd like to lead off with the question, you know, I, I feel like I've read a hundred papers that tell me that maximal safe resection for glioblastoma is, is one of the most impactful things we can do for our patients. So, so why at this point it, are the re- recommendations still level two and level three? Why don't, we, why don't we yet have a level one recommendation? So I can, I can jump in here. A bit of it comes from the methodology of how we determine uh, you know, a level of recommendation versus class of evidence. And it has to do with you know, the nature of a lot of our studies in neurosurgery where we're, these are, many of these are retrospective. And so we're looking back at patient out, you know, like at surgical characteristics and then patient outcomes and then looking at what happened to the patient. And so to get, you know, level one requires these, you know, randomized controlled trials. And, you know, in surgery, we talk about, you know, like creating like equipoise in surgical trials and, you know, and having uh, randomized controlled trials and uh, surgery is a very difficult thing. And so it often means that we just have to build up these large retrospective, you know, looks and cohorts to make recommendations. And so that's why we, you know, level two is really, you know, where, where we get to get to a level one takes a lot more. So, so are there going to be, I mean, within this topic, are there any opportunities for level one recommendations does, or just the disease and the nature of how it's treated not lend itself to RCTs, randomized. I, I think uh, I think you know Dr. Ormond kind of alluded to it, but the the Stumer paper looked at 5LA, and that was a randomized controlled trial. It did include some you know high grade glioma, so it's just high grade glioma in general. So there was some uh, you know WHO3 pathology, which meant that it was you know we couldn't include all of it, but. So there may be opportunities for some of the, like the adjunctive things, such as 5LA, such as I, you know, IMRI, um, some of these to say and, and use level one there. I think it becomes difficult when we talk about the con- beyond contrast enhancement. Uh, that's kind of subtopic and how, f- how far do you go? Um, because randomization of, you know, of that would be quite difficult knowing that everyone's tumor is in a little bit different place. And so there's a lot of personalization that goes on. And also, I think once you have a level two, evidence, it is very hard to say that really it is ethically possible because how would you want to convince your patients or tell them that this is an opportunity to participate in something that potentially is harmful if you were to dichotomize between a safe maximal resection and not. Uh, So I think it gets really complex. I think where uh, we should uh, aim at is uh, repository, data repositories that are collecting this data prospectively. And I think that this is the strength for this particular field. 
to all work together and collect such data. So to, to sum up kind of what you said in would be, you, we're not gonna randomize patients to receive less than maximal safe extended resection just to see what would happen because of how much data we have that implies, even though it's largely retrospective, how much data we have that implies that maximal safe resection is effective and impactful for prognosis. Yeah, it's just just like this, the the parachute story, right? So there has never been a level one study done that if you jump off the airplane without a parachute is more dangerous than if you have one. Right, right. Uh, said that was said very well. So at this point, I want to give an opportunity for our resident host to ask a question. Mayer, do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Elder. And I would like to congratulate the authors for the excellent uh, update here. So I have a question regarding the ex extent of resection uh, in the paper, as, uh, as uh, it has been mentioned that in the literature, extent of resection has been variably defined as more than 98%, 70%, 85%. And similarly for residual volume for less than 5%, less than 2%. So as a fresh graduate, somebody who is going into practice, what number should we keep in our head while uh, treating these patients with newly diagnosed GBM? So I can take that question. I think keeping a specific number in your head is a little challenging. It gets back to the ethics problem we were discussing before. I, I think a bigger question is when you look at an individual patient and you assess them for their preoperative functional status, for example, you also consider things like quality of life issues for the patient and patient desires and, and adjuvant therapies that'll follow afterwards. I, I think looking at the whole patient helps make, it, make a decision. As far as a guidelines perspective goes, you know, there's, there's two recommendations that go hand in hand in the first recommendation of this paper. And one is the level two recommendation for mac, you know, maximal safe resection. But the level three secondary recommendation is that if you're going to likely induce a significant neurologic deficit, then less than gross total resection or even biopsy may be appropriate in an individual patient. And, and also factoring these other things such as patient desires, Karnofsky performance status. I think those are all important questions in deciding what to recommend for a patient. And localization of the tumor, at least the enhancing component of the tumor, I think is, is a very important part of that decision-making process rather than thinking of a raw number. What do I have to achieve? And this is also bringing into the field of future directions. I would like to ask um, Dr. Domino if uh, you wanna elaborate a little bit on what is needed for as a group, as a field to move on uh, future directions. Sure, I think, uh, you know, when talking, we, we have a well-established, you know, contrast enhancement and gross total resection defined in papers as removal of contrast enhancing tumor. I think if uh, you're then extending that beyond and thinking about things beyond, it, it needs to be a, you know, well-defined, are we talking about, you know, like one centimeter beyond tissue when safe? And so these are obviously going to be a smaller subset of patients, uh, you know, mainly are you know, frontal or temporal. Um, and, you know, we're obviously not going to go take a centimeter back into, to, you know, motor cortex. Versus looking at flare, I think flare has 
uh, some difficulties in that, uh, you know, there is some overlay of edema too and knowing what's truly, you know, infiltrative and what's, you know, maybe more just edema is difficult to, to assess with that. You know, I don't, I don't know if I have a great answer for exactly how to standardize, you know, moving forward with uh, super maximal or, or super total resection. You mentioned in the paper, one thing that we keep talking about is maximal safe. And we keep mentioning the word safe. And, and I think it, it pretty clearly implies neurologically safe. We want to minimize neurological morbidity. But in, the, in your paper, in the abstract, you mentioned that you don't want to cause, quote unquote, significant neurologic deficit. And, and it seems like that's the metric that you use to determine. Can you kind of tell the listener, what would you consider significant neurodeficit? And where, where is that line neuro, neurologically in terms of morbidity? Maybe I can, can answer that. I think depending on the paper, there are different answers to that question, but most of them are, are defined uh, around specifically around motor function and speech and language function. Those are the two most common um, associated neurologic deficits that have in the literature been assessed for overall survival in glioblastoma postoperatively. There certainly are more subtle things that are defined differently by different papers, uh, but those are the two most common. So new permanent neurologic deficit related to motor function and, uh, and speech and language uh, function uh, tend to be the most associated with worse overall survival. Certainly, uh, Dr. Germano, if you'd like to add to that, um, but I think those are the two most commonly defined and well-defined new neurologic deficit in the literature that are really being referred to in the majority of these studies. Absolutely, and uh, I think that both of those have an impact on quality of life. And although in this paper, we ran out of space uh, to look at quality of life, quality of life has been shown over and over again, not to the extent that we can do a guideline about it, but there, there is a body of evidence saying that quality of life does interfere with uh, healing. And that is not just true for glioblastoma. I think it's true for a lot of other diseases. Yeah. And so uh, as Dr. Armand was saying, if you have a, a speech deficit and or a motor deficit, it's pretty obvious to think that your quality of life will be less. And if your quality of life is less, most likely that advantage that a, a supramaximal resection or a maximum resection was planning to achieve, most likely that advantage will not be there and in fact could even be lower. And I would argue the challenge of the glioma surgeon, you know, going back to your question, Mayor, about, you know, is it 98% or 90% or is there a different percent that matters? You know, it's, it's not usually biopsy versus gross total resection that we're assessing. It's we're in the middle of an operation and, and it's a question of, do we go from 80% to 85% or from 90 to 95%, 95 to 100%? And the argument in the literature is that if that difference results in a new neurologic deficit, then we should have held off, right? And that's, that's I think, the challenge of the glioma surgeon. And in my, in my training, it was always, uh, it's where to stop in glioma surgery that's the most important. Yeah, this is a kind of a side question. Did you come across any literature on, I'm gonna use the term completion surgery. So you're referred to patient who's had a biopsy, but you think you can get more out, but they're all teed up and ready for chemo RT. Is, is a second surgery for removing the rest of a tumor, was that a consideration for a topic for your literature search? 
not it was not has been looked at in in other papers um, and it is something that again will fall a little bit within this category in the sense that if the life uh, span of that patient is such that is greater than uh, three months, it, it makes sense uh, to apply the same criteria, which is to decrease the uh, tumor burden as much as possible safely, and then to continue on with that um, indication. But this is not part of the guidelines. So I just want to make sure that we're not getting confused in what we looked into and what it's our knowledge, but it's not part of the guideline. I appreciate that. Something else that's, you know, uh, not probably not part of the guide. Does, do you feel like a future direction be maybe subclassifications of these guidelines based on the molecular profile of the tumor? Yeah, we would I, welcome that actually <laughs> from a future directions perspective. I mean, as we know, the WHO is, uh, is considering adjusting the uh, diagnostic categories of glioblastoma by IDH status. And there's been the suggestion in the, liter in the pathology literature to define IDH wild type as glioblastoma and IDH mutant grade four as grade four astrocytoma uh, because of the significant difference in their overall survival, right? Median overall survival is dramatically different between those two entities. So we would certainly welcome additional studies in, in the future uh, subdivided by, uh, um, by molecular classification. Well, are there, I think we're bumping into our time limit. Are there, are there topics or issues that, that the authors want to, did I, did I leave out questions that you thought would be important to mention? Are there any, anything you want to clarify? Just maybe a historical perspective, the word glioblastoma multiforme. Multiforme means it has multiple appearances. And our predecessors named it as such because when they were looking at the HNE, there are some GBMs that have all these crazy big cells, uh, multi-nuclei um, and so on and so forth. And now, a hundred years later or more, we know that that multiforme is because genetically, on the molecular level, these tumors are totally different. So I would like to really acknowledge our predecessors for being able, even in those times, where the molecular aspects were not known to guess the future, that these are all different tumors. And as Dr. Ormond said, as we continue on understanding the signature a little bit better, we might be able to provide better care to our patients. Great. Well, I, I think first, I, I wanna echo Meyer's comment. I congratulate uh, you on your publication. For those that have not participated in guidelines writing, this is a tremendous amount of work and, and this was an excellent paper and, and why it was selected for, for this podcast. So with that, again, I, I thank the authors for being with us tonight and Meyer, thank you for participating from the resident standpoint. Thank uh, you, Dr. We'll, we'll go ahead and end the podcast here and, and wish everybody a good night.